<laughs> there we go. <laughs> now I'm recording. How do we get gallery view back up on my phone? Because I've never succeeded in gallery view on my phone. Oh, okay. That's right. Welcome to the podcast, mind you, if you're just joining the podcast later. Gerda and I are still sorting out our technology, but this is just the real behind-the-scenes stuff. How do we do that, Gerda? Even if you are relatively experienced with technology, sometimes technology just doesn't want to play ball, right? And it's like, <laughs> are you going to let it beat you? Yes or no? Hell no. No, never. Never the ever. show will <clears throat> go on. That's exactly right. What I really love is when I look in the meeting settings, I, I can't see an option to go to gallery view, but I can see an option to touch up my appearance. So I'm glad <laughs> Zoom's got my priorities sorted out for me. <laughs> so how do we go to gallery view from... Um, it's all right. It's not a train smash if we can't. No, it's not a train smash. It's not a train smash. <laughs> All of the things that have proven challenging over the last little while, I think most of us are sort of, especially those who are working from home, experiencing just how limited a service we have in Australia when it comes to good, solid internet connection. I've noticed it's gotten a little bit better, perhaps over the last week, so I don't know what the, the boffins on their little, especially in their boxes with their special bicycles and their rubber bands, you know, as they make all the machinery work. I don't know what kind of things they're doing behind the scenes, but things seem to be slowly improving, but it's been difficult, right? Mm, Getting used yeah. to work. Bugs in all of the systems, which has been very frustrating. Um, and I think also the flip side of that is how quickly some of our systems, like some of our practice management software systems, have responded. Um, I know mm. you and I both use Power Diary in our practices mm. and Power Diary has really sort of leapt ahead in leaps and bounds. Of, okay, mm. you, want, you want telehealth? Fine, we'll give you a telehealth platform. Oh, you want online forms? No worries, we'll give you online forms. Oh, you want a whiteboard or you want a screen share? Let's see if we can get that happening as well. I think it's really cool watching yeah. technology happen. Um, I'm finding it all very intriguing, I have to say. I am sure yeah. they're getting the Dr. Tess Crawley tick of innovation approval right now. Oh my gosh, I know, right? <laughs> I, I'm gonna, someone's going to tell me to shut up about it soon because I'm just, every day, it's like I feel like a kid in a candy shop with regard just how, how exciting I see all of that to be. Um, I'm actually going to be chatting with a friend of mine in the States who owns a cafe called Beantown, which is, I think it's the nickname. Mm. Now, he's in New Hampshire and I can't remember if it's the nickname of his town or the nickname for Boston. I can't remember. But his coffee shop is called Bean Town. And um, they have pivoted really quickly. Um, they are, what they've done is they've set up an online system where people can pay $10, like pay it forward, um, buy, buy someone's lunch. So they can buy a healthcare worker's lunch for $10. And then the Bean, the Bean Town staff are delivering like boxes and boxes and boxes of, of lunches to all the hospitals oh. and nursing homes in their community. Yeah. So obviously it's yeah. doing a lovely thing for healthcare workers, um, but it's also, of course, a revenue stream to keep his staff yes. employed. And that's what the language he's using, you know, trying mm. to find ways to keep my staff employed. Um, mm. Just so smart and so clever. So I'm interviewing him for my podcast soon, um, but he will make an appearance in my book as well. Um, yeah. I don't know if we've talked about my book. My book has sort of pounced upon me How so quickly. How, how far are we on right now? 
I it's have, like it's like uh, I'm asking about your baby, right? How far I know. How far along am I? So I am. Uh, I'm halfway. So I've written five chapters in their very first draft, and um, uh, the next chapter will be quite exciting, which I'll record today. So I'm using technology. I'm I'm dictating my chapters. And it takes me about maybe half an hour, 40 minutes to dictate a chapter. And that translates to about three or 4,000 words. And um, which is amazing because it would take me ages to type up three or four, even though I'm a fast typer. And so the book itself, you know, there's a bit of psychology in there. There's a bit of my business history in there, but it's mostly about yeah. celebrating the innovation and ingenuity yeah. um, that is, yeah. is happening now. And I was talking to someone the other day and saying, oh, there's a little bit of an I told you so without saying I told you so in the book as well because yeah. a lot of the strategies that the book talks about that I'm seeing are things that we should all be doing always in our yeah. businesses yeah. to help future-proof, you know, because these are things yeah. we should do, not just in a pandemic. Um, yeah. Hmm. yeah, very exciting. And I, and I do love the doing it via audio. That's, of course, how I did yeah, yeah. my book as well. Yeah. And I think what helps when you do it in that way well, first and foremost, you don't get stuck into perfectionism, which is yep. easy when you're the one typing it out, which you'll do anyway when it comes to editing, right? But right. I find it helps you to have a conversational tone, which is, which is helpful to engage your readers, and it just makes it easy to read, and people can get through it. They don't get bored because it's conversational as well, yep. whilst getting a lot yep. of strategies and stuff, and that's what I love about doing it via audio. I think it's, and it also means, like you say, about the perfectionism, which we all are, you know, um, overachieving, conscientious perfectionists, um, it, it gets done. So if I was writing, if someone said to me, okay, Tess, you're going to sit down, you're going to write 10 chapters and it's going to be about 40,000 words, I'd be like, oh, my God, that's going to take me six months. Good. Mm. You know, it would take me six months. Um, so this has taken me so far a week and a half. I, I was, was going to record a chapter every day, um, but I decided that I wouldn't do that. I'll just do it, you know, each day that I feel so called to do because then the, the, yeah. tone, the tone of it will be more motivated. Um, and so most days yeah. I'm either recording a chapter or editing the previous chapter. So I record it and I get a transcript back. I'm just using Rev. I could probably use Temi. I've noticed Rev's um, accuracy is not as good as it used to be at the moment. So I'm not sure what that's about. Um, but, you know, it gets done. So I think this is something for most of us to be thinking about. You know, what are the things that we are insisting on doing the way we've always done uh, instead of doing yeah. something so it gets done? And that's, I guess that's why the innovation is really exciting me because people are challenging in all sorts of sectors. People are challenging the way things have always been done. We've talked before about, you know, challenging our own assumptions about how we do, you know, mental health treatment in this current climate. Um, in fact, I had, a, I had a team meeting this morning and this is, I'm actually bringing us to the theme that you and I decided we were going to talk about. Um, we'll a, we're taking the scenic route today. Um, I had a team meeting this morning and we were talking about how everyone's traveling because my Launceston clinic, everybody's working from home. Um, everyone's remote um, except my practice manager, Lindy, who's still based in Hobart. So she's in the Hobart clinic. Um, and everyone, everyone's sort of feeling positive and a bit void 
um, by the connection, but also I can tell that between catch-ups together, people are feeling stretched. In fact, a member of my team mentioned that, you know, the juggle of the family, homeschooling and trying to see clients and all the things, um, you know, really got to her last week. And I think it's getting to people at the moment, I feel like now's the time where people are starting to really start to show some cracks and show some fatigue, oh, not just in my team, but just generally when I'm talking to people. Um, Victoria's been back at school for, so we've been homeschooling for a good couple of weeks now um, after Easter, we went back. Um, Tazzy's only just gone back last week um, in the other states. Obviously there's variation there. So it's each state has a different amount of time they've been trying to juggle and I'm noticing that fatigue starting to creep in with people and now's the time to be thinking about you know pulling your foot off the accelerator a bit and challenging the way you've always done things so we are talking you know about well how much time are we giving how much break time are we giving to my team now my team's employed um, and that clinic that long system clinic has a substantial amount of funding so we're in a very privileged position to be able to say we can actually pull our foot off the accelerator a little bit if we need to, um, to yeah. make sure our team, our team copes. Cause I think it's such a big stress and they're all isolated in their yeah. in different geographical locations as well. Um, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. And it's important to still have that time off. Like, yeah. um, my clinicians that I do uh, clinical endorsement supervision for just had last week off because already three weeks ago, me and her had that conversation. I was going, I think you need some time off, right? You're doing big days, done all this adjustment and she's very busy. Her clients still attend well, combination of in-person and telehealth sessions. And it's like, it's still important you know, and not to come from a place of fear because obviously my team are contractors, right? Which means yeah. if I don't work, I don't get paid. But it's like, whether it's a pandemic or not, you still need to look after yourself, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and trust that it will be okay to take a week off. I don't have to burn myself out because that is what will happen at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we can get very hard on ourselves when that fatigue then starts to kick in right and it's like yeah. why am i getting tired why can't i do this because we have such high expectations of ourselves like no yeah. i should be able to to manage this i should be able to have all the skills to get through these but at the end of the day at the core we are all still human beings although we have all all the skills yeah. you know yeah. um yeah. still human and we've got our own juggle that we need to be mindful of i think that's right and i think you know if you if you've got if people are working from home and expecting themselves to still work an eight hour day and they've got kids at home and they're thinking, well, okay, if it's an eight hour day of work, how am I also fitting in a six hour day of teaching um, in homeschooling set up? I think that's again, challenging those assumptions about how things are always done. And um, I've been talking a little bit about that um, on pod various podcasts this week about, that assumption and I know from my experience of having already been a homeschooling parent that you know homeschooling is not about standing in front of a classroom and teaching for mm. six straight hours it's actually a lot of interactive stuff like baking is a really classic example um, there might be one or two hours a day most days not every day where you might be doing some sit-down book work 
So we're sort of trying to, at the moment, sort of find that balance again of what works for us as a family and be okay with the knowledge that, and I absolutely believe this, every child will go back to school if they've been in a homeschooling situation. When they do all go back, they'll all go back with a unique experience. There's no common denominator. Nobody's going to be behind because there is no common benchmark. So, you know, I think parents, and I think us as a profession, we all need to just take the pressure off, do what we can, do what's reasonable. And whether it's work that has to take a backseat today or it's the teaching that has to take a backseat today, or if it's both of them that needs to take a backseat today so you can look after yourself, then that's what we need to do. Um, I mean, my youngest, Henry, was in fits of tears this morning. Simon wanted to sit down and do a couple of pages of maths work with him, which Henry usually enjoys. And he was just in tears, didn't want to do it. He slept really badly last night. And... um, and I said to Simon, you know, if it was a school day, he probably would have been in tears at having to go to school and we probably would have let him have a rest day and stay home. Mm-hmm. So we just have to apply the same principles and let him have a self-care day today mm-hmm. as well. But that assumption, actually, I was talking to someone, a friend of mine in Canada, oh, it was Mark Drager, we were doing our podcast together, and he was telling me about what the Canadian education department has sent out some guidelines and I think this should be like this should be trumpeted everywhere I think everybody needs to hear this um the the, um, Canadian government um said here are the guidelines of what's reasonable to expect in a homeschooling situation um up to I think early high school I think it was um we expect that you're probably going to be doing about five hours a week of face-to-face kind of teaching work. The rest will be in educational TV shows and YouTube channels and baking exercises and mm-hmm. other activities, colouring in and whatever other activities. And if they're doing upper high school, 10 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this idea that you're going to work your eight hours a day and teach for six hours a day and try and be all things to all people, it's mm-hmm. not based on what's reasonable. It's based on assumptions of how things should be done because we're not... Yeah. And, and we'll all burn out because we don't know how long this is going to go on for either. either. Hmm. And then the bottom line is it's, it's unrealistic. It's hmm. don't do it yourself, right? Just yeah. this is where we need to step into uh, our own belief and knowing that we are doing yeah. the right thing and that yeah. not doing it doesn't make me a bad parent, a bad mom or bad dad. It actually makes me a good parent because I've been able to do what is right for my child and my family and myself yeah. in order to make sure yeah. we get to the end of all of this intact in one piece, not yeah. having constant conflict fights because it, that is such a slippery slope, right? Because frustration mm. kicks in. And if your yeah. kids are frustrated, if you're frustrated, it's just like, it's like this melting pot of conflict waiting to, to boil over. And why would you do that to yourself? And, and I love that the government in Canada has actually put that out there because yeah. that just helps those parents that yeah. are trying to do the right thing, right? That's yeah. all they're doing. They're trying to do what's right, what they think is yeah. right by living up to potential unrealistic expectations and it's not going to work. Mm. Not, not long think, term. No, it's not. And I think, you know, I think it's a little bit like, you know, think of us as mental health professionals and I, especially if you're an early career professional and you just feel compelled to fill your client's arms with handouts to take home and you feel like if I haven't given them five sheets of paper to walk out the door with, I've not done a good enough job, I've not provided good value. And obviously, you know, depending on your treatment modality and experience, you sort of 
start moving away from that approach. But I think that I think the education department and the teachers in particular, they're also high achieving and very conscientious individuals who also want to give great value uh, to their families or their students. And so I, my view is that the, the curriculum work, uh, when I look at the school that Henry goes to, it's really just been guidelines around these are the kinds of things you should could fill your day with. Um, and they, they're feeling, I, I suspect they feel compelled to provide us with good value so we can mm. provide educational opportunities to our kids mm. on whatever basis we feel is reasonable, um, mm. rather than viewing that as pressure from the school to do this work. So I, mm. I choose, and I choose this deliberately, I choose not to view it as the school putting pressure on me to teach those things mm. to Henry every day. I choose to view it as, um, and I guess I've got the luxury because I'm a, I'm a homeschooling parent as well with my other son, to view that as some suggestions of what we could do. Uh, and we've chosen to just do what we would normally do as a homeschooling family anyway and do our own thing. And yeah, we ch we're cramming them full of educational activities anyway. So I think it's really, it is about how we view things and what assumptions we make about the motivation behind the information being given to us and whether or not we're actually yeah. checking in with ourselves. How does that feel? And I think as parents, we have to just say, well, we're doing the best we can. And as, you know, and, and that translates to the rest of, you know, the rest of those who aren't parents, but still juggling all of the things. Um, you know, you don't, I, I mean, I think you can easily translate the same conversation to people who are at home on their own and battling yeah. that relentless isolation. And that is a word I'm hearing a lot at the moment, relentless in relationship yeah. to, to isolation when you're on your own. Um, and it's all fatiguing. I think it's this background noise and we're all feeling it. I think we're all feeling a little bit tired, a little bit not our normal sparky selves. So yeah. Maybe we need to check in with that a bit more. And that brings us to our topic for today, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> how are we going to... How do we... How do we... How do we my thinking on this, my thinking on this, as I was saying to you, you know, before we started recording, you know, um, probably nearly a week ago, although time frames, I don't even know what date is anymore. Um, I sat down one night just before I went to bed and drafted out a, a, a new course, a new training, um, which I will launch soon. I'll announce it. But um, it came, you know, it fell out of my head in almost full format. You know, it was really, it's a really obvious, obvious thing for me to do. It's really simple and straightforward. Now, ordinarily, I would have posted something that night. Like, oh my god, I'm so excited! I've just put this thing together, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And there would have been like a little screenshot of some blurry of the scribbled words I'd written and some yeah. clever thing. And I would have posted it, and I would have talked about it the next day in a live stream, and I would have had the PayPal button all sorted out. But there's this walking through wet cement feeling at the moment, like everything feels a bit harder. So, mm. you know, if I'm going to run a new training, then it needs to, I have to decide what day of the week I'm going to run that and what time of the day. Mm. And then that means I have to think about my diary as it's currently structured and when can blah, 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 mm. blah. And I think for so many people, there's just everything feels like one more extra burden rather than one new exciting thing. Um, obviously, some people are coping with that more better than others, but. It's interesting noticing even in myself that there's almost like a ghost, like I'm in slow-mo, a little bit in slow-mo being filmed. In slow -mo. Yeah, I think it's, it's it, I, I don't know, you know, it's going to be different for each person, but I think there's a lot of decision fatigue going mm. on at the moment. We've had to 
make so many decisions and a lot of that decisions within a context of great uncertainty, not knowing what's going to change the week after and really significant changes, right? With telehealth, do I keep my people remote on site? What do I communicate to my clients? What's the best platform to use? Like the amount of decisions that especially private practice owners, but I mean, this applies to everyone out there, right? Has had to make in order to keep their business afloat, in order to keep their people employed, uh, in order to continue looking after their clients. It that it's exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm. I think sometimes we're running on that adrenaline initially. Yeah, um, I think you're right. There comes yeah. a time where it's just like, I can't. It's too yeah. much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, you know, we think about, um, you know, survival mode and we think about crisis mode. And, um, you know, I remember when the bushfires were in full flight and, yeah. And so many in the mental health community were feeling compelled to, or feeling inadequate because they felt unable to do anything practical to help these communities. And, um, and I remember having conversations at the time with a few people saying, well, look, um, in my experience, you know, having, having um, experienced bushfires in Tasmania, my experience now is not the time. You know, people are in crisis mode there's a fire they want the fire to be put out then once things have settled down a little bit and they know whether or not they've still got a house or they know how much time it's going to take to build a new house for them or those things then they might feel the need for some mental health yeah. support but right now they probably only need well not only but they probably need more mental health first aid and there are people on the ground offering that so don't feel bad that you're yeah. not flying in there in a helicopter and being parachuted in to rescue everyone in the community <laughs> And I think it's the same now is that it's, it's like this bushfire is still, is still burning for most yeah. of us. And certainly in Victoria, our, our restrictions here are still very tight. Um, same in Tasmania. We've got 97% uh, of children being educated at home. And our Premier here is being very firm that that's likely to be the case until the end of term two. Um, and uh, whereas other areas of Australia obviously are starting to experiment a little with lifting some yeah. restrictions. Um, but we basically, we still don't know what's coming next. You know, I know a lot of people are worried about, you know, second waves of the virus and I'm certainly curious to see what happens on, in the northern, northern hemisphere because obviously they're relaxing restrictions earlier than we are. Yeah. Um, let's see what comes. So we don't know. So we sort of feel like we're still in crisis management mode. And like you say, you know, the adrenaline only lasts so long or the cortisol levels being raised so high for so long, it results in that, that, that sense of fatigue. Mm. Even just, just that conscious, having to consciously figure out which day it is every day, <laughs> <laughs> every single day. That is so true. That is so true. <laughs> I've got a friend, a friend in the States, actually, it's the same friend. Um, he puts a, like a little on his page every day. He puts a little community public service announcement on his page, just letting you know today's Tuesday. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, right. That's the best. <laughs> I would share them, except of course we're a day ahead here in Australia. So like, yeah. Because it's not. Yeah. I think for me, it actually helps. So most mornings when I go for my run, yeah, I, I do like a, a, a 
post for my story and I'll go Monday morning run and then the next day. <laughs> and that's like my reminder what day it is for myself. Yeah, actually. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Monday morning run done. Okay, tomorrow morning run done. Just to keep track of where mm. we are, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my decision right. fatigue um, is tough. And I've been feeling it myself, like having to make decisions and uh, and the way that I've been not getting over it, but managing it, I guess, is so, so me and my PA every day, well, most days at 11, other than Thursdays, um, we hop onto a quick Zoom, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like we call it our, our morning huddle. So we'll hop on, we'll talk about, okay, what's the stuff that we decided yesterday? Has it been done? What's the priorities for today? What needs to happen? All of that type of stuff. And then, you know, Abby would ask me stuff and I've just got to need to decide right now on the Zoom. Because if I leave it, I just won't make a oh, decision. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? Uh, absolutely right. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely so that's right. really helped to have that, that anchor, that 30 minutes, where I know I'm going to be having, really forcing myself to make decisions yep. because my business still needs to continue working, right? Um, and, and I'm talking about the mentoring and coaching part because obviously Chelsea looks after my principal after practices and stuff. And I have my check-in with her once a week. So if there's any decision that I need to make, so it's almost like I've scheduled my decision-making, so to speak, um, yeah. because it forces yeah. me to do it right then and there. Otherwise, I'll just go, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. I, I don't yeah. feel like it right now, right? Yeah. Don't feel yeah. like it. Like, well, you still need to make that's decisions, it. right? That's it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think this is, this is such a good point. You know, I think um, two things. First of all, the capacity to delegate, but also that, that need to make a decision, like you say, decision fatigue has become such a, such a thing for everybody. Um, in general public, you know, deciding, should I go to the supermarket? Really, I don't want to go to the supermarket. What if I catch something there? Well, maybe I'll go to my little local shop. What if I don't have one? Like just even just to get milk, you know, like it's just everything requires that yeah. extra thinking, mm-hmm. that extra thinking. Um, but... Um, the, the capacity to delegate, but also the capacity to make a decision, even if you have to change your mind later. I think at the moment we need to just do it. I think we need to, uh, in our businesses in particular, we need to say, right, I'm going to go with this today, but communicate that that's that I'm going with this today. And if things change in the future, I'll keep you posted. So whether you're communicating that with your team or your customers or your clients or whoever it is, because I think we can only do that you know, when we're in such a changing landscape. We're so used to, again, that perfectionistic thing of wanting to weigh up what's the right decision. Mm. Well, what's right today might not be right tomorrow or what is wrong today might be right tomorrow. We can't know that stuff. So we just have to go with our gut a lot more. And for a lot of people, that's actually really outside their comfort zone. Um, Yeah, because I think the thing is with that, as I was listening to you, it's Mm. also because there's a value thing that comes into it, right? So for me, when I say something like my, my word is everything, right? My commitment yep. that I make to you is so important to me from a yep. values perspective. And then this freaking virus comes in and wreaks havoc with me being able to live according to my values, right? Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and it's like, 
I hate it. I absolutely hate it. But I know I need to be flexible right now with myself in in order to navigate through this successfully, where I need to really consciously talk to myself, okay, just because I change my mind around this thing doesn't make me a bad person or a bad business owner or a bad employer or a bad clinician right now. It's the environment that I'm finding myself in. And I think for a lot of people, it, beyond just us and mental health professionals like the general public, you know, they might be, everybody might be experiencing some sense of value clashes right now. We know as, as mental health professionals how hard that is and how mm-hmm. tough that is for mm-hmm. us to, to live with that. And I think that just adds, again, to that sense of just being over it, totally exhausted and overwhelmed at times and stuck in... you're trying to stuff that you hold yeah and i think i've lost you are you no i'm back now i'm back am i back i've got a bit of a dodgy connection all of a sudden (laughs) Emmy, i think i'm back it was touch and go there for a minute but that whole thing you're right that values clash thing i've noticed you know within Mm. our profession there's the ever-present conversation around people who need help and can't afford help therefore I should reduce my prices rather than I should recommend something more affordable to them Um, but what I'm noticing with a lot of the businesses that are doing clever things around me they're still selling things at the same price that price they always would they're not feeling the need Mm. to drop their prices and and that's not a strategy and I've noticed this quite consciously that that's not a strategy that people seem to be employing they seem to be employing a lot of ingenuity to get their you know get this rev- get a revenue stream happening so again so they can continue to employ their staff and that's the primary driver for so many businesses because they're not in a helping profession they don't feel that uh, almost that, that that guilt feeling that we feel if we send someone away to a more affordable service but we need to get better at getting over mm. that guilt feeling you were telling me the article that you saw about the um the fellow who's seeing lots and lots of people at very reduced rates from overseas and um we were talking about you know well maybe he's having to see so many people because he's dropped his rates so low and he's at risk of going out and all of that and that's what happens we see too many people or we we put others whether it's our family or our clients or our team or it doesn't really matter who it is if we forever are putting everybody else's needs first we burn out you know we just can't sustain that long term I think we need to be honest. We really need to be honest with ourselves where that stuff is coming from, right? And if it's coming from guilt, well, that's not a good place to come from. And, and, and I do think a lot of um, people in the caring professions, um, in the health professions, often feel that guilt, that because I am a helper, that's another way for me to help, right? Whereas a um, non-health uh, business owner will probably come from a place of responsibility. It's my responsibility not to lower my, my, my fees or yeah. cost yeah. my products because if I do yeah. that, what's going to happen to my staff, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's like I actually have a responsibility not to lower my prices. That's where mm-hmm. they're coming from. And it's like, oh, that's a novel idea, right? And yeah. unfortunately, I think what makes it hard is especially our solo practice owners, right? Yes. And, yes. and I really feel for these guys because 
they often put themselves into that position where they want to do that and help and they don't have you know other people that they're responsible for and then they don't put themselves first and and i really um worry about them going through this time yeah. because i yeah. think it's much easier for them to go okay you know i'll i'll drop my prices or okay i'll do another pro bono client or okay i'll bottle another client and i really worry for where they're going to be in you know three six months time because mm. of that and I, and I feel that as a group practice owner, it's almost easier for me because I, I have this responsibility to look after yeah, the team, it. right? That's so it. it's easier for me to just notice if there's any guilt, just notice it and just like flick it to the side and go, mm. hang on, you're not welcome here and do what I need to do. Um, yeah. yeah it, it's, yeah. I completely, I completely agree with you. I think, um, like I said before about delegating, you know, if you've got gatekeepers, so that's mm. like for that first line of defence and um, take it back a step. I remember when I was at university and I worked in retail uh, in a music shop, in a music shop when I was at uni and uh, we would sometimes get grumpy customers coming in. They were, they were dissatisfied with something or other. And, um, yeah. and we would say, look, I'm sorry, we can exchange the CD or whatever it was, uh, but we can't give you a refund. And most people would be okay with that. And every now and then we get somebody who would just take, really take issue with that. And, and they would demand to see the manager. And we would have, by this stage, have had quite a lengthy conversation and stood our ground. This is the policy and these are the reasons why. Da, 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 da. And the manager would come down and go, yeah, sure, don't worry about it. We'll give you a refund. And every single time it's like, damn it. And so I remembered that lesson and I do try really hard not to undermine the message that my yeah. admin staff give to my clients. So if my admin staff say, "Not we don't vote bill and this is the fee and this is what the rebate is, then I try to hold that in mind and say, well, I'm not going to undermine them by, by undercutting my own practice, if you like, by cutting the fees. But I'll have a different conversation. So I have a conversation with clients around, well, okay, if this is no longer affordable for you, here are the different options that we could stretch out sessions. We could do X, Y, Z. You know, we've talked about this before too. But I think trying to be all things to all people, not having that front that front line of defence in terms of the people who do explain fees at the outset, not having, um, as you say, you know, people that you're responsible for, whose income, whose salaries, your fees fund their salaries, and without a, a healthy fee structure you're not you're not going to be able to pay them let alone pay yourself i think so for those solo practitioners where it is easier for them in in inverted commas to just say oh it's okay i'll just as you say just drop my fee or, or bulk bill mm -hmm. because they're not having to worry about anyone else's salary but they always suffer themselves financially mm -hmm. fatigue wise because they have to see more clients in order to earn a reasonable income and all the rest of it it is hard yeah. it is really hard and there's also that that sense of isolation in that, in that you're not in a team mm. having these conversations together and bouncing these ideas around and being bolstered to stand your ground, mm. you know, being reassured that it's okay to stand your ground on fees and that you're not being a bad person by standing your ground on fees. It's a tricky balance, but I think it's the same conversation, whether it's that professional practice conversation or mm. parenting, you know, in this current situation we're all finding that we're having to make again those decisions every day mm. How we I, agree. That? 
And you know, as a consumer myself, I'm not going to my service providers asking for discounts. I, I still expect to pay the same same, right? Yep. Um, yes, it's different those stuff that the government is saying, you know, entitled to, right? But I'm not yeah. going to the doctor and saying, no, I don't want to pay yeah. my 75 um, you know, because they charge mm. private fees. Um, I, I still pay exactly the same thing because, I, I don't know, maybe because I am a business owner and I understand, obviously, their bills haven't changed, right? Uh, it's, mm. it's, it's, and it's like reminding yourself that as a consumer, you're not going to Coles and Woolies and going, oh, now I only want to pay $1 for my milk because, you know, I, I can't work or whatever. It's like, of course you still need to pay for it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's, it is an interesting a, conversation, no isn't it? It Why is a no-brainer. For us, it should yeah. be different for us. Oh, and that's where you're right. You know, when you say when you're feeling those things, when you're weighing up those things, to be really, really honest with yourself where it's coming from and if it's your own sense of guilt for whatever reason, then that's a conversation you need to have with yourself, yeah. not with, not, not, you know, mm-hmm. let it influence conversation you're having with your client. Um, my family, I often uh, use this example in terms of letting guilt drive our behaviours. My family's scattered all over the place and my family and I, we don't talk a lot, but when we do, we talk really meaningfully. Mm-hmm. And I remember being probably in my, maybe in my early 20s, uh, maybe a bit later than that actually, probably in my late 20s, um, and I realised that when I called people out of a sense of guilt and obligation, I never had the same quality of conversation as when I called people when I felt like talking to them, like they popped into my head and really felt like having a chat with them. And so I started having conversations about that with my family members. And, and I was really surprised to discover that they were totally cool with that. Mm. Like they were totally cool with that, no expectations, no sense of obliga- obligation. We're all fairly similar in that regard of, you know, go for ages before we okay. talk to each other and that's okay. And I realised it was a story I'd been telling myself for all of my adult life that there was this expectation on me to call more regularly than I did. Um, and so I think mm. we do tell ourselves lots of interesting stories as adults and they're not all true. Mm-hmm. And as psychologists, we know that on a rational level, but I think that we don't always dig into that a bit more meaningfully with ourselves. Um, and I think we should. And I really think we should. Mm. It's probably totally. a topic for a whole other podcast. But <laughs> I would agree because, well, if you think about it, right, do you really mm. want to be, well, how effective of a therapist, psychologist, whatever your discipline is, can you be when you've acted out of guilt and then two, three sessions in when the pinch starts to set in because you're exhausted, you can't pay your bills, you can't pay yourself, and then you start to feel resentful because you haven't made the right decision. How effective can you be as a psychologist to that client, right? It's just like asking for trouble, acting from guilt. Um, And then you need to deal with that shit, right? And it's uh, why do that to yourself? It's like just, Mm. just... but sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> very good point. It is asking for trouble, isn't it? Yeah. So I think, you know, we've all got so many demands on our time and our attention. And mm. um, actually one of my team members said to me this morning, um, 
you know, and I'm feeling that feminist thing too about, you know, when you're at home, the, the, um, the emotional load plus the housework load often still falls to the woman. Not always, but often. Um, and she said, I'm home all the time. And whenever anyone else is home, I'm noticing how my workload suddenly goes up. And, of course, they're all home all the time now as well. And, and I said, you know, there is, you know, so, again, these things that we need to recognise what's going on around us and draw in the boundaries and stand the line and stand, whoa, no, you take your plate into the kitchen. I'm not a waitress. Or you get yourself a glass of milk. I'm not a waitress. And no, we do not have a menu running in our kitchen. We have a meal. <laughs> it is yes. what it is. Those sorts of conversations. That's just my husband. <laughs> you know what? These are like such good teaching opportunities, talking about homeschooling and all of that stuff, because, uh, you know, my nine-year-old Ethan, so... He likes to sit like at the kitchen counter and have his meal there. So we've got these like bar stool type stuff. And I just noticed this humongous mess right there where he sits. He is such a messy eater, right? And I'm getting out the broom and the dustpan and stuff and we're starting to clean up. And I said, Ethan, you need to, you need to learn not to make these type of messes. You need to be mindful of where you dropping your stuff and and i made this comment and i said who's gonna clean up after you one day when you're all grown up when mommy's no longer here right and you know what response he gave me <laughs> my wife <laughs> <gasps> oh my goodness that was not a good response so obviously i had to sit the little man down and just like have a good discussion about <laughs> no it is not your wife's job to clean up after you. It's your job. And then I had a nice little discussion with my husband. <laughs> I bet you did. Guess what our nine-year-old thinks, right? This has to stop. Um, and I guess what happens is, you know, I don't know. I come from a culture that's very traditional when it comes to male and female roles, right? Like, yes, the wife is the, the like the mm. housekeeper. Mm. So it's like keeps the house, not housekeeper in a bad way, but housemaker or homemaker. Is that a better yep. word? It's like the yeah, homemaker, yeah. right? And, and the husband is like the provider and all of that stuff. And, and we've actually changed a lot of that uh, um, in our household, you know, over years. And it took a lot of adjustment and stuff. But it, there's still certain things like I've never mowed the lawn in my life, right? Yeah. And when you come to Australia, it's like, oh, my God, there's a woman mowing the lawn, right? And my husband says, that's amazing. It's like, that's never going to happen. Right? That's <laughs> yeah, you forget that. Yeah, forget that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I, I think it's... Um, I think it's a really, I think it is a good, really good lesson for, you, for, that, for our kids. I'm noticing that too. And my husband does a lot of the cooking. He quite enjoys to do that. Um, but I've noticed lately that, um, this is me, confession time. I've noticed that, you know, little bags of rubbish. I will tie the bag of rubbish up because we have a, in our apartment building, we have on each floor, we've got a rubbish room with little garbage chutes. It's really quite cool. The novelty yeah. has worn off. So the, the rubbish room novelty has definitely worn off now. Um, and so I'll, you know, carefully parcel up the rubbish and then I leave it by the front door for the rubbish fairy to take away in the shape of my husband. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. That's probably the only gender stereotyped thing that I'm going to confess to because I think it's probably yeah. the only one that I'm guilty of most of the time. Although he does like to say I won't do anything I don't want to do, which is true 
across the board. That's a global truth in my world. I won't do anything I don't want to do. <laughs> Great. So, yeah, yeah, it's been interesting. It's been interesting. So, mm. yeah. Working, working on the perceptions of the young males in my house right man. now. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I think this is true. I think this is very true. And are more cleaning now than they've ever done before, which is a good thing because I get our thing. house cleaner in anymore and it's been one of the best things. Like, mm. especially now I can hear the 13-year-old go, Ethan, pick that up. I'm not cleaning that. <laughs> it's like, yes working <laughs> excellent 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 i love it i think um the whole thing about the fatigue too is you know i i sort of feel like it's really important just before we finish off to to talk about how our kids are feeling if you've got kids at home with you you know just to touch base and, and remember that they're feeling their own versions of what we're feeling right now um yeah henry's henry's been pretty much emotional mess today um and he has days where he's like that roy's coping much better but he's a bit more pragmatic about most things whereas henry's very very sensitive mm. soul and he's very stressed about coronavirus he's very stressed and anxious about um you know he's he's learned all about asymptomatic transmission so he's concerned yeah. about how many people there might be wandering yeah. around our community you know you talk about educational experiences and conversations that happen in the home this is yeah, I wonder how many, uh, you know, if we go back to say even just February 2020, how many children understood the term asymptomatic transmission? Um, you know, so, you know, part of my role is to make sure I touch base with him and update him with um, knowledge that's helpful around yeah. those anxieties, you know, like the testing regime that's happening in Victoria at the moment, what the purpose of that is, what the purpose of the app is, uh, all of these things so people feel a bit safer going out into the community and the government's not going to lift restrictions until that happens. So I think, you know, again, that's another layer of responsibility mm -hmm. that we've got on ours is to, uh, on us, is to absorb all this knowledge ourselves and then regurgitate it in a kid-friendly format for our children. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so if, if your kids are struggling with the homeschooling thing too, if you take a step back and think, well, do they actually need a break today? Maybe they do. Henry certainly does. Um, maybe they do. Mm. And how yeah, much of a break do we each need? Oh, we've got to get it back onto the self-care bandwagon too. I don't think that we're doing as much of that as we possibly would have otherwise because we're thinking twice about whether or not we exercise. We're thinking twice about um, whether, well, you know, are you baking more? Are you enjoying that? Well, okay, are you eating healthily otherwise? Have you got, you know, the, the same variety of foods in the kitchen that you might have otherwise had? Um, have you got downtime? Have you got you time? Have you got alone time? Um, and that's probably the thing that a lot of people are either, they're at polar extremes. People are either too alone for too long or they're not alone enough. Mm. Not getting enough yeah. of that. So all those layers of self-care you need to sort of touch base on too. Great yeah. conversation, Gerda. As always. <laughs> As always. I love our chat. Um, <laughs> all right, I'm going, to, I'm going to cease recording for the podcast. Thank you for joining us those listening later on. Always a pleasure. Um, and we will see if we've got questions in the Facebook um, community. Awesome.